Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Cam, along with Nick and Keith. And fellas, I've got a riddle for the audience to start things off. A riddle for you guys as well. Who haven't seen each other in two weeks, haven't recorded together in three weeks, and haven't released a podcast in over a month? (laughs) That's right. It's your favorite pod, boys. Uh, It's been a little while. Leafs are still a wagon. Uh, World Juniors are over, and we actually had a, a rare chance to get together a couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned. Uh, ourselves, the other two members of our group chat, uh, Producer T and, and Matt, uh, we even got to to make a, a few new friends and meet some friends of the pod. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Joe. Shout out to Cousin Joe. We get to check out uh, Canada-Austria. Uh, big win for Canada. History for Connor Bedard. Um and what a tournament for Halifax and Moncton, but especially Halifax. Incredible. Yeah, we don't need we don't we don't need to give Moncton no, any we don't. praise at any point ever. But they weren't they did they did their thing though. They were good too. That's that's the most nicest thing I'll ever say. It, seriously though, I was like so proud of like being a, a part of that crowd and then even, you know, watching the the other games on TV and just the energy that was in that building and you could feel it around the whole city when we were up there. And you know, it was talked about so much by the, the broadcast teams and just how special the atmosphere made that entire tournament feel. And yeah, it was it was really cool to get up there and uh, get to see Connor Bedard and the rest of the team do their thing uh, in person. It is. Eh? Like, I, I think like Canadians get, we, we kind of get excited when Canada is represented on a world stage. And then in the Maritimes, we get even more excited when the Maritimes are represented in Canada or like if the focus is on us or whatever, right? Like, it, like there was an enormous amount of like civic pride or whatever going on around here. Even, you know, people in New Brunswick, we we kind of have like uh you know to the rest of canada we're kind of all one spot so we, we kind <laughs> of took we took ownership of what was happening too but uh yeah no that was it was awesome i mean you hear every i mean you didn't you could just see it and hear it on tv you didn't need the first hand accounts and stuff like that but yeah i mean you, you see all the media members and everybody there just saying like this is proof that it should never be in like NHL cities or big cities, like keep it in junior markets and definitely come back here regularly. You know, it it was well done by everybody that put it on and went off without a hitch. And it was an excellent reason for us all to get together and, and, you know, catch up after, you know, not, not seeing each other for a while. And Nick, you got to take in that insane Bedard goal from like the goal line (laughs) right, right in front of your face. So that was pretty sweet too. Yeah, so first off, uh, big time props to none other than the resident cool guy Keith for you know putting <laughs> this entire trip together. He was the one that got the tickets and uh, booked a place for all of us to stay. And uh, of course, uh, we didn't all have lower bowl tickets, but he, Keith was uh, so gracious as to to share those seats, and we kind of split it up between periods. And uh, yeah, getting to be front and center for the Connor Bedard show was something else. He's just out of this world. And yeah, really glad that I got to see him up close and personal. And yeah, super pumped about the entire trip. It was a great time with the boys. Yeah, he is a, a fucking freak, man. Just <laughs> like... Yeah. It's it's you know something that we've talked about like in reference to the really really smart players. I feel like Marner is the guy that we talk about the most in terms of like just the the video game awareness. Like he's it's like he's seeing it all from above and just making the perfect decision every single time. And oh, he's incredible to watch. Um, Going to be a real treat for whoever 
lands that that top pick. Um, and yeah, just just so much talent on display, and and like we said, a great job hosting. I actually got to uh, one of the relegation games too, and there was like over four thousand people there. Like it was it was uh, an awesome yeah. uh, environment, and, and really. Yep. People show and, and really good because, you know, one of the things like when we first started this pod over two years ago now, like we were excited for the women's worlds and there was, you know, the whole kerfuffle there it got canceled and then it was going to come back the next year. And then Nova Scotia kind of pulled the rug out because of the, the COVID situation at the time. And like, I remember thinking like, God damn, how long is it going to be now before we get a, another event back here after kind of the, the setback? because of that and you know Mm -hmm. this this kind of goes to show that like this is a place that's that's gonna you know do it right that's gonna host a a hell of an event and you know did it on short notice right with you know this is supposed to be in russia so um just yeah an awesome job all around and and great to to kind of yeah get get that uh, spotlight back back in the maritimes and uh yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, you know, almost got all the way through it without you know feeling too too gross until that dipshit from the IHF at the end of the at the end of the tournament came on and said how this was just the you know the the thing that the best medicine that Hockey Canada needed. Give me a fucking break, dog. That is it, that ain't medicine. It's just a good tournament with a good host, and you can leave it at that. But yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, so celebrate the players that were there on the ice uh, in that moment, uh, and maybe not so much the, the past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, really, really uh, fun time with with the fellas, and uh, I, you know, already missing the World Juniors. Not even necessarily because of, like the atmosphere, and and you know, living like I'm in Dartmouth, right across the the harbor. It's it's more the fact that like I was making a killing on those Dylan Gunther anytime goals. God damn. But I'll find a new I'll find a new horse to ride. Your yeah, your your twenty twenty three uh, profits are gonna probably come back to earth a little bit here. I think you can get a bit of, bit of a hot, it was a, bit a of great a start. start to the year for sure. So uh, Leafs have also kept right on rolling, and um, I, I guess kind of the most relevant thing we should talk off uh, talk about right off the top here is. Uh, the fact that Austin Matthews is questionable for Wednesday's game against Nashville uh, probably be more clarity on that by the time you're hearing this. But uh, worth kind of talking about, you know, his season thus far. Um, you know, I think that one of the things we were talking about when we recorded a couple of weeks back that didn't quite make it to air was that he was uh, starting to heat up a little bit. And, you know, it's it's been an odd season. You just You just keep waiting for him to kind of kind of hit that spark and, and just, you're really waiting for him to hit that multi-goal <laughs> like game, i said right? i need i need my gunther replacement but um he, he's he's been like he's just been so good uh, all around the ice the the explosiveness is maybe not there as much as you'd like to see but um yeah i and i don't know what what kind of details we have on this injury if this is kind of something that's been lingering or what but um i mean he, he's certainly been making his impact felt and you know other guys have been getting it done and and you know picking up the ball on on uh, on offense and and really producing so uh, like if you've got a guy who's giving you incredible two-way play and is still producing like a first liner you know it's it's maybe not such a blow that he's not gonna score 70 which i'm sad about still but uh (laughs) overall hard to be too disappointed i think it says a lot about 
Austin Matthews when he's on pace for a 40 goal season and everyone is talking about him having a down year, right? It kind of speaks to the level of player that the Leafs have in him. And he's just, he's, he's been so important to the overall structure defensively. And he's kind of leading that charge. The team as a whole has gotten so much credit for the buy-in defensively. But I think it all really starts at the top. And we've given him plenty of credit for his play away from the puck in the last couple of years. But I think he's even taken that to another level this season. He's even more committed down low in the uh, defensive zone. He's just he's supporting play every time you look at him out there on the ice. He's always around the puck. And I think that even offensively, it's been more a matter of just not having the same kind of shooting luck and, you know, a few bobbled pucks here and there, but he's still generating a ton of chances. And I think that's been even more pronounced lately. That game against Philadelphia on Sunday night, he easily could have had four or five. It's just that the pucks aren't exactly falling for him right now, but I don't think anyone will be surprised if he still finishes the year with 50 plus goals. Yeah. I think that's, that's the part that, you know, I don't expect him to go on the pace that he did in the second half last year. But I believe he had 21 goals or 22, I guess 22 goals to this point last year. Like, so, I mean, he's not really that far off. Now, again, I think there's more nuance to it than that. Like we we have alluded to, like we haven't seen the kind of explosiveness. We haven't really seen him like just take over a game. Now there there were, there were moments against Philly where I think I was like, if he gets the puck here, he's going to score. Like he was just circling and you could see it, but that hasn't been the case as much. And I, I don't think it's anything like the chances are there. The, the chances just aren't going in, but also there's just such a commitment to the entire ice for him right now. And it was there last year too, you know, so it's, it's not that that's like a new aspect to his game, but I feel like there's just that much more emphasis put on it. And, and I think if he was put into a situation where he was allowed to run around like, you know, a dry sidle is able to do and, and maybe not have the kind of responsibilities that, that those guys have that he, you know, he would be sitting right there with those guys in, in terms of goals and all that kind of stuff. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's a combination of things. I, I don't think anybody that's being reasonable about this is actually concerned, but I think it's more just like us being kind of selfish and greedy and just wanting to see the the torrid pace he was on last year because it was a hell of a lot of fun to watch. But for the net outcome of contributing to winning hockey games, I think he's doing a pretty damn good job right now. Yeah, and I think you just hit on it right there, Keith. The the, the lack of goal scoring or you know the diminished goal scoring at least seems to be much more of a concern for everyone else than it is for Matthews himself. Okay. Like, yeah, exactly. he, he, he said it earlier in the season, he really doesn't care you know he's already got those accomplishments under his belt he's got the rocket Richard trophies he's got the hard trophy he said that stuff doesn't matter to him he just wants to do whatever it takes to win and i think he's been living up to that all season long with the way that he's playing at both ends of the rink yeah and it's you know when you've got nylander and Marner producing the way they are like maybe if, if things start to dry up there a little bit you'll you'll notice it a little more but you know happy to have him just kind of dominating at both ends because you know the, the ceiling for him is simply so much higher on the defensive side Marner obviously a fantastic defensive player but like just 
just something different when you've got those extra, you know, the extra four or five inches of height and however much, you know, wingspan that that contributes to. And, and oh, he's so good at just getting under opposing players' sticks and lifting pucks off them and just so quickly turning it up ice and back into a rush chance for the Leafs. It's it, it really does everything to drive play for his line yeah he, he's a menace with the stick check and uh, he's had a fantastic season and and like you said there is a bit of a shooting luck thing here too like it that just turns a little bit like it, it's not even that he's been particularly unlucky it's just he hasn't had that hot streak like we've been saying so if that hits and i mean it's it's gonna hit yeah, at like some the, point the 10 goals in four games kind of thing like something insane like he's that. got that's, one multi-goal game all season yeah that, like that's you just so tell me character you feel like it's gonna <laughs> fl- <laughs> Yeah, degenerate. You feel like it's going to flip at some point, right? Like it's any one of these given nights that you feel like when he's out there and he's buzzing early, if he could just pot one of them early in the game, you feel like he's primed for for a huge night. And it just hasn't happened that way for him yet. But it it feels like it's coming. And yeah, again, no one should be surprised if he ends up with 50 plus at the end of the season. He's he's shooting 6% under what he shot last year. And, yeah. you know, and last year was lower percentage than the year before. So, like, it's not <laughs> he like shot it's not lower like, than the year before and finished with 60, yeah. 60 goals. Yeah. So it's 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 bound to come back. Like, you know, but I think, like we said, it's it's not really a, a cause for concern. But I would be absolutely shocked if he didn't score 50. You know, as we said, we got together over the, the World Juniors and um, there, there was a moment, like I want to say, within four minutes of me arriving at the Airbnb where Nick and I just kind of gravitated towards each other and started talking about Pontus Holmberg. And I knew that I was home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, a, a big Pontus guy over here. I, th- I think that's been well established already. But just the Leafs have a really good thing going in their bottom six right now. And I, I think he's really been the piece that's kind of tied it all together. You know what you're going to get out of David Camp, uh, no matter who you play him with. And, and he's been a big piece of solidifying that third line with uh, Kerfoot and Engvall as of late and both of those guys deserve some credit as well because they've really stepped up their games in recent weeks and uh, you know we've been as hired on them as, as anybody but they've really been you know tilting the ice in, in the Leafs favor whenever they're out there and they've been chipping in with a bit of secondary scoring lately as well but uh, as for Holmberg it's just he's always in the right place and if he does make a mistake it's so rarely a, a mental one He's just a really responsible player, and I think that he's still capable of providing more offense. You know, he's got decent numbers for the role that he's been playing so far this season, and you can just see it out there. He's he's around the net, he drives the appropriate lanes, and he he creates havoc around the opposing crease. It, it just seems like a matter of time before he starts to pop with a little more offense, and I think Sheldon Keefe has recognized that. We've seen Holmberg out there with the second power play unit a little bit as of late. So, yeah, he's been a real positive story for the Leafs this season, and I think a big part of why their bottom six forward group has been so successful. Yeah, you kind of saw the the constant shuffling kind of you know subside a little bit once he established his role, and it really allowed for the Camp, Engvall, and Kerfoot line to really kind of find some kind of common, kind of find some uh, some more reps and, and get used to each other too, and really start to gel. But I, yeah, I think that's the the extra the the offense that maybe it hasn't been tapped into yet. When you consider that, you know, he like I I, I like Zach Aston Reese. But that's not a guy that's going to help your offensive numbers playing beside you. Yeah. And again, still think he's got a absolutely a role in the team. And I'm happy that he's on the fourth line and 
from what I see, early returns on Dryden Hunt, same. It's just he's the same guy. Like you know, he's he's the exact same type of player. So we're maybe not going to see the offensive fruits, you know, come out for for uh, for Holmberg this year. But I think what's good to know is that if they can afford to sign David Camp next year, that I think yeah. they'd be pretty com- comfortable with him slotting up into that third line center. Yeah, he's practically a ready-made replacement. For a guy to be in his second season and be, uh, you know, the, what was he, a sixth-round draft pick and be able to come... This is his first season. Or so, I mean, next year, though. Like, like for for oh, us to yeah, be, be able to say next year comfortably he could take over for Camp to be your third line center for a sixth-round draft pick playing in his second year, that's in the NHL, that's... That's, that's pretty impressive. And you're always waiting for like something of a, a dip, like anyone can kind of, you know, look yeah. good for, for a stretch, but it's been more than a stretch, you know, like he, he's just it's been 26, 26 he, games he's bringing like it's it. Not, it. It's not like six games. No, and it, yeah. and it feels like with that bottom six, you have at least five guys who have their legs every night. And that's such a huge thing, right? Like yeah. you just have to bring that consistency and it, Holmberg's found it. Yeah. He's been as consistent as anyone, you know, Maybe not bringing the high level of offense, or he's bringing like at least ninety five percent of what he's going to give you. You know, like he is maxing it out yeah. every night. Like it's it's and he's smart. Like he's not he he doesn't fly around out there or anything like that. Like he he's he's not slow. He's very but calculated. He, yeah, he, he's his positioning, his sense, his awareness. Like it's it's all really really impressive, and it hasn't waned at all since he got into the lineup, which is the really impressive part. Like you expect you know a guy to really have the energy. You have the piss and vinegar in those first few games and then tail off a bit and, and we just haven't seen that no and the beautiful thing to go along with that kind of tenacious mentality is that he has bulked up over the last couple of years and gotten to the point where he's got the strength to handle those battles along the wall and really be an impact yeah. player defensively in terms of helping out his defenseman down low below the faceoff dots. So it, there's just a lot to like about his game. And, and yeah, it, it's just it's almost eliminated the the need for hunting for that center depth you know that's kind of been a point of concern over the last couple of seasons beyond David Camp there was no real answer you know of course there was Jason Spezza doing his thing on the fourth line but you know we've talked about that before it wasn't exactly the ideal makeup of a fourth line that's going to be competitive in the playoffs so I think the way that Holmberg plays it's definitely more conducive to that style of game and getting what Sheldon Keefe wants out of that unit um over to the defense before we talk a little bit about the goaltending. Uh, TJ Brody's on the shelf here. We don't really know for how long, but he's been added to the injured reserve. Um, Morgan Riley is back in the lineup. And, you know, we, we've seen just such a consistently strong performance from this blue line, no matter the personnel changes. There have been so many guys in and out of the lineup. And they just keep on ticking, man. Like it, it's been really impressive, and um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how they how they go now with with Brody out. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk around Riley, and and you know, he he hasn't necessarily looked the best, and and some of the bounces haven't gone his way when he's been on the ice, certainly. But um, you know, how do you guys feel about the the blue line overall? Because you know, obviously, you got Connor Timmins as well. He, he's he's 
shown some really, really nice minutes and it just feels like they've been so deep. And, uh, you know, the, the younger guys, obviously, Sandine Lilligren ha- have been, you know, steady. Uh, they, they've been so good. And, and again, you know, you talk about guys whose performances haven't dipped. Um, Got to feel pretty good about the, the blue line as a whole right now because it just feels like it's next man up and there's no problems. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the, the overarching point for me is they're built it is built with so much depth right now that an injury to tj brody you know last year or the year before would have been like alarms going off right and that's not happening right now i don't want to not that you know you're obviously it was barely a blip on the radar when the the injury was announced today (laughs) exactly you're clearly gonna miss him i think this year he's been a little bit underrated oh definitely like he's been quietly very very good and i think with you know, the storylines going around, you know, how well Giordano stepped up and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, rightfully so. And in, in the emergence of Lilligren and Sandine and all that kind of stuff in Timmins, but Brody's been so good while he's been in and, and on the topic of Timmins, I think Cam Sharon had a, a tweet recently about that pairing in specific, specifically when Brody and Timmins are together, it was like they had the second fewest chances like against uh, on, on ice from the the moment from the day that uh the timmons was acquired or something insane like that out of the whole league like not just the leafs so it's it's like i it, it all kind of comes back to me to the whole concept of people still saying that they want the Leafs to use their limited trade ammo and limited trade or limited cap space on a defenseman i just i just don't see it um I've never been this confident in their blue line. Yeah, I mean, the depth has been something to behold this year. I think, you know, even looking at the roster right now, if you've got to insert Connor Timmons to fill in for Brody, there's still a couple of guys who are legitimate, viable NHL options below him on the depth chart. So I think they are really in a good place uh, in terms of what they've got on their blue line. And when it comes to Morgan Riley, I think it's still a matter of him kind of – it's also important to remember he missed a lot of time. It's not always easy to just yeah, step in. It's not and, just going to hit the ground running and be at 100%. Yeah, it's, it doesn't always work out that way. And I think Riley has fought it a little bit through his first couple of games back in the lineup. It, it seems like he's still sort of caught between playing the way the Leafs used to play and the way that they want to play now. And, and I think that's a really tough thing for him because in order for him to be at his most effective, it's about that offensive activation and trying to push the pace from the back end but I think in the last couple of games now that he's starting to get settled back in after returning from injury I haven't noticed as many of those risky pinches or kind of getting caught staying in the offensive zone too long and I've actually been really impressed with his uh, defensive play in transition which is definitely not something that many people have said about Morgan Riley in the past but I I think he's done a a lot better job of gapping up and using his stick to kind of disrupt plays and as you said Cam the bounces just kind of haven't gone his way so far Uh, but I I think you know when he gets back to 100% and is really feeling like himself again he's going to be a big part of what this team wants to do in terms of driving offense from the back end. Yeah I don't think it'd be kind of idea that you know the team the defense was so good without him out that it means that they don't need him it's more just like yeah that's a coincidence and it it was just a very convenient one for a lot of people causation (laughs) correlation right like yeah i I, but that being said like if if you you know uh, i think we can all admit like you just mentioned his you know transition game defensive zone kind of gaps and stuff maybe haven't been his strong suit 
But if the other five guys and, and the team defense from the offense are clicking, that, that should really just allow him to be that much better and, you know, in theory, you know, allow for him to, to kind of do what he does best, knowing that the rest of the team is playing such a cohesive defensive, you know, as a defensive unit. Like, it does, it, I don't know, it just doesn't make sense that you can add in a, an extremely good player and the team gets worse. Like, that doesn't add up to me. Yeah, and obviously you have to factor in that the goaltending just couldn't stop a damn thing for a little bit there when yeah, he first came it, back, right? Like, that, that was a that was a yeah, huge part it, of it. And, yeah. and we wanted to talk about that a bit because, you know, Murray and Samsonov have both bounced back with, with nice performances in, in their last respective starts. Um, but, you know, th- there was a, a tough stretch there. Um, numbers kind of coming back to earth a little bit, which, you know, is it like, this is how it looks, right? Like we've talked about this in the, in the past with, with Campbell. And I think even with Freddie at, 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 at parts, like, you know, these guys, I, I don't think were ever, exp- I mean, we know that they weren't expected to be like nine thirty goaltenders. <laughs> we, we were surprised when it, things went as well as they, as they did to start the season. And, and it's not like, you know, I, I hope no one tricked themselves into thinking this was the new normal. Like there's always going to be that stretch where they look like they can't stop a thing. And then they'll hopefully kind of find their form again. And, and it, the, the encouraging thing I think is that like, it was a, a pretty short stretch and, they 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 go right back to like in each of those last two starts like just sharp like looking like you know they're dialed in like they're i mean and there have been some crummy goals over that that bad stretch and it's like are they ever going to look like they did at the start of the season again but like they they can still make those big saves murray made some dandies in that uh that flyers game right yeah i mean the the thing like you mentioned it, it we all i mean we we were saying this when they were putting up 930s every night and their overalls, you know, save percentage was a 940 or 930. Like we no one expect that to be that them to be those types of guys. They're usually are, aren't any, isn't anybody in the league that ends up the season. I mean, Chesterkin last year kind of notwithstanding, but at the end of the day, they're, they're both at 916. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure if that was one of the, you know, prop bets or kind of over-unders that we had in the beginning of the season. And we found out, you know, we were to be told that they were both sitting at a nine sixteen in the middle of January, we would be laughing. Like we would be that you would sign off on that every single day of the week. So yeah. it's important to keep into the context that, yeah, maybe we did get a little bit spoiled early on. And, but we also have to remember that everybody and their dog was crying that all the, you know, give the Leafs nine Oh five goaltending and they'll win the cup. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's here and it's, it's better than that. So I, I, there's been chatter about the Leafs acquiring a goaltender and you can, you can be uneasy about them given their past. And they're both kind of like tendencies to kind of fall off a cliff a little bit and both have injuries can injury concerns and all that kind of stuff. But if you're just evaluating them on how they perform this year and understanding the fact that they're not going, they don't have the, the cap space or assets to add up front and on the blue line and all of a sudden grab a legitimate third, you know, goaltender. It's not going to happen, even if it was a concern. So we got to kind of live with it. So I, I can't say I've understood the recent kind of comments on the Leafs goaltending and being in need at the trade deadline. I've heard it on the radio and I saw a, a 
blog posts, I think, from uh, McKenna as well, saying that he would be a team, the Leafs would be a team that would be going after a goaltender at the deadline. Yeah, I mean, unless one of these guys suffers a, a long-term injury or like entirely falls off the cliff. The, the, Even the, then, that's why, you get, that's why you get two, though. Like, that's yeah. why you got two capable goaltenders and then you call up Joe Wall. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. not going to happen. Joe Wall's a, a topic for later, probably. But yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I think, as you said, like in terms of on aggregate, everyone would be thrilled if you, they were told ahead of the season that Samsonov and Murray would both be rocking a 916 save percentage at this point in the season. I think, you know, the concerns mostly stem from the fact that they both have that injury history. And we just watched them both go through their rough stretch at the same time. Yeah, and I think the yeah. the, the the hope is that when you have the two options that the the Leafs have, that you at least have one of them giving you adequate minutes all the time. You're not going to yeah, have been banging that drum for a while. That when one's one doesn't look good, you would hope that the other does, and that unfortunately didn't line up. Yeah, and I think you know. The, the chances of that happening again, just the way that it did, uh, probably aren't super high. But uh, again, I think that's where the concerns come from when you see that prolonged stretch where you can't seem to get a save out of either goaltender. But it, you, you have to kind of take the ebbs and flows of the season and look at what they've given you on the whole. And, and as much as they've had you know a favorable kind of situation to play in with how good the Leafs have been defensively, They've both been getting the job done, and, and you know I, I don't think you can quibble with what they've given you so far this season, especially given the doubts that they entered the season with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple of things that I wanted to hit on here as well, um, kind of more news items. Uh, Mitch Marner headed to the All-Star game. Uh, whoopity do. <laughs> um, Easy torts. I mean... I, I guess that my my bigger complaint with uh, the the format here is is with the playoff format, not the all star format. Uh, but if you're going to go to to four divisional teams and three on three, and what is it like rosters of eleven, and you got to have one from each team, and there's eight teams, it's going to be a little silly what's going to happen with this. But Marner, I mean, is obviously a, a, a great pick. Um, Nylander deserves to go. Um, yeah. Matthews is probably going to miss out, but who knows? Maybe he gets voted in. I, I don't really know or care how this is going to work, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, normally I would agree that like I really don't give much of a crap about the All-Star game. But when you think about all the detractors and everything that William Nylander has gone through from the early part of his career up till now, I think that getting that recognition... Uh, for him would be just a, a really satisfying thing, not only for him, but a, a, for a lot of the fans who defended him through some of those times where it, <laughs> he didn't have so many defenders. Um, he's just, yeah. he, he's been spectacular this season. Uh, probably the, the most consistent offensive force for the Leafs all year. And he's just, he's been dynamic pretty much every night. It's like you look out there and he's always going. His, he's got the legs going. He's hunting pucks. He's not even shying away from the physicality the way that he, he has in the past. I know he, he's not going yeah. in there and laying big hits, but he's not like doing all those. Stop uh, pulling uh, up blame anymore. Yeah. Like he, he's, yeah. 
he's at least using his body and his uh, lower leg strength and all that to get under checks on the forecheck and battle for pucks. And he's been so good at creating offense out of those situations where he's just, he's hounding the opposing players and forcing them into bad decisions and bang, it's in the back of their net just like that. You know, he's on pace for a career year. Uh, I I think he's just been fantastic pretty much every night this season. Yeah, no, he he deserves it for sure. Um, so if you're if you're so inclined to vote, uh, he's a guy who should get your vote. Nylander twenty twenty three. Uh, another uh, news item: Bobby McMahon, great name. He's been called up to the Leafs. Uh, Nick, what's the scouting report on Bobby McMahon? Uh, Best way to describe him is as a guy who would quickly become a fan favorite in a fourth line role. You know, he's a fairly big body. He's got good strength. Doesn't mind getting in on the forecheck and using that body to separate players from pucks. Uh, Good speed down the wing. Uh, decent scoring touch. I, I think he had 24 uh, for the Marlies last year. He's coming off player of the week honors in the AHL. He's got three goals and three assists in his last three games. Um, a bit of an older guy, definitely a, a strange path to, to get to this first NHL call up undrafted, spent a lot of time uh, in, in the minors after his college career, finally earned that entry-level contract with the Leafs last year and and he's 26 years old now so he's definitely an interesting story and you know I hope that he gets in there because I think that there's a real chance that he could show something and be a legitimate option for this team on their fourth line moving forward he's just there's so many parts of his game that just kind of scream NHL or even if it's it's not you know a high-end skill set he just does a lot of things that you would want out of a, a fourth line player in the NHL and yeah again excited to to see him get in there you know it, it sounds like if he does it will be at the expense of having Matthews uh, miss a game but uh, these are the opportunities that these guys work for, and yeah, he's been working for his for a long time. Yeah, you gotta, you, you can't not love a guy who undrafted and goes to the East Coast League and works his way to the AHL and gets his shot. Like that's, you know, that's a that's a great story if if not anything, right? But I'm excited to see him. I didn't realize he he was oh, as big as he is. I guess he's like six two, right? So yeah, he said he gets in there and gets in on the forecheck and you know if he goes in there and throws a hit and gets in somebody's face he'll immediately be a fan that's all you know that's it's pretty easy to win over the toronto crowd just do something like that i think he would actually be a great fit alongside holmberg and aston reese and or hunt um so yeah it's gonna be interesting to see if he does get that opportunity because i think there's a real chance that he could you know make a push for a a more permanent spot more former growlers in the leafs lineup 2k23 yeah on that note though this kind of does illustrate that three-tiered development system that we heard so much about when Dubas took over as a GM. You know, there was a lot of talk about really utilizing the growlers to try and develop players, even, you know, guys that they have signed to AHL deals, which was the case with McMahon initially before he earned the NHL contract last year. So, you know, it's a great story for McMahon. And if he's able to find any kind of NHL success, it's a great story for the the Leafs development team too. Yeah, I I had a friend... uh, who's a, a Habs fan we were texting today and he's talking to me about his theory on why Slavkovsky is in the NHL and not down in the AHL. And it's cause you know, Gordon doesn't trust, you know, the, or, or thinks that his, it's better for his development to be up with St. Louis and doesn't necessarily 
want him down in Laval with the staff and the player development. And, the, and I was like, that's not, are you saying this like it's a good thing? Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't not be, you shouldn't be able to trust your, your minor league organization to not fuck up your first overall pick. If he's not ready, like someone should yeah, tell the I New mean, York Rangers too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, yeah, the, the, that, you know, that was one of the first things I remember about, you know, Dubas getting hired was the whole, like, you know, not treating the East Coast League like, you know, a graveyard of washed up guys who can't make the AHL and more of just like a long term project kind of thing or slow development. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't it seems like a, a no brainer, but it's, you know, it's still early to say if we're seeing the dividends from it or whatever. But, you know, a story like this helps. Yeah. And even for a guy like McMahon to get to the fringes of the NHL, I think you can almost consider that a success because yeah. just there's not a lot of guys that come out of the East Coast League and, you know, actually crack the NHL. So uh, the fact that he's even knocking on the door is impressive. And, you know, the Marlies use a lot of guys from the Growlers. There's a lot of movement between those two teams. And it, it just... Hoff, it, Hoffenmeyer was down there at one point, wasn't he? Yeah. Hoffenmeyer was with uh, the Growlers at one point. He's a, another guy on an AHL contract who's having a, a massive season for the Marlies so far uh, in terms of uh, point production from the back end. He's got a cannon of a shot, and it's deadly accurate. It's, it's all It's got that feel of like Brian McCabe back in the day whenever he would get fed at the point for a one-timer. You just felt like it was going in. It's kind of the same thing when you're watching Hoffenmeyer with the Marlies right now. Um, and just to kind of wrap up the quick comment on Joseph Wall earlier, uh, he missed the beginning of the season recovering from an injury. Uh, he's had his fair share of injuries over the last couple of years. But he's been spectacular with the Marlies so far, coming off a 56-save performance uh, he's got eight wins in eight games so far this year, tying uh, the Marley's record. So one more, and he gets his name in the record books, uh, rocking a 934 save percentage so far. So I think he's definitely put himself back in the conversation as the, the next man up, uh, you know, over Shalgren potentially, if another injury does arise and the Leafs crease. And just to kind of stick with that thread very quickly, um, you know, we, we talked briefly about if there were an injury or, or if someone were to go really, really cold uh, in the crease and maybe walls the next guy up and you run with, you know, the other guy and wall. Um, do you see a situation where he's the backup next year? Do you, do you see them either, you know, dipping back into the market or, or going with one of the, the two guys they have and, and giving Wall an NHL job? Or do you think that he, he's going to be an AHL starter for another season or two? Or how do you see him projecting? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think, you know, a lot of it's going to depend on how things play out with both Murray and Samsonov the rest of the year and into the offseason. Um, Murray's under contract for another year. Samsonov is a restricted free agent. Um, you know, uh, if he continues to play the way he has this season, he might be due for a bit of a raise off of what the 1.8 million that he he's making this year. Um, so th- that's going to be a tricky thing for the Leafs to navigate, but they do hold his, his rights. So, you know, chances are uh, both Murray and Samsonov will still be in the organization next year, uh, making it a, kind of a, an uphill battle for a guy like Wall to, to break through to the NHL. And he'll be at the point where he needs waivers as well. Not to say that he would get claimed uh, necessarily, but uh, it, it's getting to that breaking point with Wall in his career where he, he's really needed this hot stretch since he's returned from uh, recovering from that injury just to kind of reestablish himself and, and reclaim his place on the organizational depth chart. So I, I think just even that is a, 
a positive thing with all the injuries that he's dealt with over the last couple of years. And just to keep you in scouting mode here for another quick minute, um, you're running a series over at the Leafs Nation, uh, ranking the Leafs prospects, your midseason rankings. And, and by the time folks are hearing this, the, the first 10 or so um, prospects, I guess, what, 11 through 20 plus honorable mentions should be up there. So um, wanted to just kind of ask you about a, a couple of guys. Don't want to talk about everyone, but just a couple of guys who have had, um, you know, particularly good seasons. And one of them's over in the KHL. Uh, Gribyonkin, I mean, it sounds like he, he's he's obviously going to be a, one of these long-term project guys we were talking about, but um, he's putting up pretty good scoring numbers for a, a guy who was just drafted, isn't it? Yeah, his season has been really impressive. He's probably the, well, he is the guy who's taken the, the biggest leap on my personal ranking of the Leafs prospects uh, since the offseason. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot known about him uh, at the time the Leafs drafted him. He's an overage guy. Uh, playing out of the Russian Junior League, Leafs drafted him in the fifth round. Um, th- this year, he he cracked his club's KHL roster out of training camp, but uh, they're kind of a stacked forward group, and he didn't really see any ice time at all before being loaned to another uh, KHL club in Amur. And he, he, ever since then, he's been playing in a top six role in the KHL as a 19-year-old. Uh, I, I believe at this point, he's up to... Uh, five goals and 10 assists in like 28 games or something. So he's producing at over a half uh, point per game pace uh, with his new club as a teenager in the KHL. That's not nothing. Um, Now, mind you, he is a year older than a lot of these other guys. But in terms of guys who were drafted into the NHL in uh, 2022, he's leading all of them in KHL scoring. That includes Danil Yurov, who was drafted in the first round, Victor Nuchev, who was drafted in the third round. So it, the early returns on the Grabyankin pick look really, really good. And he, he might not be as long-term of a project as we initially thought. Uh, he, he's a fun player to watch. He's got good hands. He, he's actually got decent size, works well along the wall and taking pucks into the middle of the ice. Uh, good vision, and he can snap at home too. So uh, there's a lot to like about his offensive toolkit. I think you know cleaning up some of the, the skating and play away from the puck will be the big thing for him. But it hasn't really hurt him so far at Russia's top level, as he's been, you know, very productive for a for a player his age. And another guy I wanted to ask you about, um, Brandon Lazowski. Obviously, crazy um, time right now in the CHL with lots of movement around the deadlines. Everyone loading up, a billion yeah. picks getting sent away for the next ten years. Guys who <laughs> are still in the womb being uh, traded in future consideration deals. Um, Brandon Lazowski is with Saskatoon, and he was a seventh rounder. And I feel like you could do a lot worse strategy wise than than to just Shit. pick the you know the small guy who fills the net once you get into the seventh round. And that's what the Leafs did with this guy, and uh, he's continued filling the net. Yeah, uh, it was kind of a surprise to uh, to a lot of us in like the the public scouting sphere or whatever you want to call it, that Lazowski lasted that long. Even going back to uh, the Leafs Nation's consolidated rankings from last year, that, that took in uh, a list that took in rankings from TSN, Sportsnet, McKean's, Elite Pro, all the, the big outlets that you could think of. And Lazowski was the 91st ranked prospect by, by that list. So 
for him to fall all the way into the 200s and for the Leafs to snag him in the seventh round was it was almost a no-brainer at that point, especially for an organization like the Leafs who isn't scared of the smaller player who maybe isn't the best skater. But yeah, Lazowski was, I believe, the third highest goal scorer in the WHL last year among draft eligibles, just behind Matthew Savoy and Jagger Furkus. I think Savoy was a top 10 pick. Furkus was right at the beginning of the second round. So, you know, that said, there's obviously some deficiencies in Lazowski's game that that caused him to fall that far. Like I said, he's not the biggest player. He's not the the, the best skater, but I think he, he's actually more agile than he's given credit for. He's really good at playing through traffic, kind of using cutbacks to shake defenders, and, and he's lethal shooting the puck out of those moves. He's got an NHL quality release. He's got an NHL level one timer. So like when you get to that point in the draft, you're kind of looking for that one trait that you might be able to translate to the NHL. And for Lazowski, it's definitely that shooting ability, but it's also his ability to create his shots and get to those scoring areas. So, uh, yeah, he's having a big year so far this year. I think he's on pace for 40 goals over the course of the season. So uh, another late round pick for the Leafs that's looking good in the early going. All right, great. Uh, You can look for the rest of those rankings at theleafsnation.com. excellent return to form here fellas shaking off the rust like pros a little rust off the top it's almost it, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 we're, we're so good at coming back from a month away uh we're, we're just old pros at it at this point um wanted to talk quickly about football a lot going on with both of our teams uh, the last couple of weeks yeah um let's start with you nick the, the bills were you watching when when the the demar hamlin stuff happened were you were you watching live when yeah know, what was your yeah, I reaction? Was, I assume same as pretty much everyone else. Honestly, like in the the seconds right after it happened, we didn't really see the actual incident. You know, I was watching with a couple of buddies. We we're talking back and forth. We just saw another player down and, and trainers running out. And we're like, Jesus, another injury. And then almost immediately, like the the, the mood in the room that we were in shifted because you could tell right away that this wasn't a regular injury. It was something far more serious and far more frightening. I mean, you could see it on all the players' faces on both teams, uh, the coaches. Like the uh, the emotion w- was real. They they were all distraught for uh, their teammate as well as their opponent laying out on the field like that. Um, and it was just a, a disgusting feeling watching the the whole thing unfold. Like it, no one knows really what's going on. You just know that it's really bad. And then you start seeing the reports of them administering CPR to him on the field uh, and things like that. And it, it just, it really put things into perspective in a hurry um it, almost immediately it was impossible to kind of care about the the football game and, and any other sport to be honest uh, the the canada game was going on uh, at the same time uh, i believe the slovakia game and it, bedard scored that legendary ot winner but it just it seemed so so minuscule in comparison to to what was going on on the field there in cincinnati so uh thankfully um Hamlin is making out all right after that terrifying incident. So I think that was the the focus for 
you know, obviously the, the focus for the organization, but I think even a lot of the fans and speaking from my own perspective, it made it a, a lot easier to tune in and watch Sunday's game, knowing that, you know, Hamlin was kind of in the clear and that he was going to be all right. So uh, that, that's been definitely the biggest story, uh, not only for the Bills, but maybe in sports over the last couple of weeks uh, since that's happened. But yeah, just great to, to see him back and doing well. And, and how cool was it to see how much that brought, you know, everyone together, the, the way that people rallied behind Hamlin it, during this time and, you know, just supported his foundation and all the things like that. Uh, it, it was awesome to see, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes a lot of our best moments are, are born out of tragedy or, or near tragedies. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was great to see everyone step up and support him and even better to see that he, he's doing well. Yeah, uh, just scary, scary and, and honestly shocked at, at the, the progress. Like it's it's you, you see something yeah. like that. Right. And you just you think the worst and, and yeah. um, just the, and the, I th- it the, was completely reasonable to think the worst at the time. Like, I think almost everybody was was assuming the worst. Like you knew right away it was different. Yeah, like within a minute of it happening, it, like you said, like just the look on everybody's faces, like this wasn't, you know, guys don't get CPR and they're, you know, shocked on the field, you know, but that doesn't happen. On that note, like the the training staff and medical personnel, everyone that was involved in that deserves yeah, so exactly. much credit. Like, oh, my God. They, I mean, they, they say like it's one thing to save his life, but they, they saved, saved like they they saved his his function like that. That was like what yes, I heard. Like I wasn't yes. watching live. I, I flipped it on like very close to the end of them, like almost when they were signing off the broadcast kind of thing after they called the game. And uh, like I if, if, if I would have flipped it on at the point where like, you know, they had him loaded into the ambulance and the ambulance just wasn't leaving the field. Uh, like I, 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 yeah. I would have assumed the worst for sure. Like that's, you know, yeah. you, you just like at that point, it's, it's almost like all you could do to save his life. And the fact that he's sitting there in the hospital bed, tweeting the next game is, is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. And I, you know, we always look up to these guys, especially, you know, when you're kids, you, you look up to all these athletes as heroes and stuff. And it, we saw that night who the the real heroes were on that field. Like they legitimately worked in miracle fashion to save that guy's life in such a short time frame with you know not much margin for error. And yeah, it's just remarkable to watch. And I think maybe the the biggest takeaway that it has kind of stuck with me over the last week and a bit since then is like maybe just when we are you know criticizing a, a player on the field to play or on the rink for for something they're doing it's important to remember that it is just a game um this is just their, yeah. the, the the job that these guys have chosen or or been granted in life and yeah they're not really any different than any of us and i just you know yeah, that, that's what's stuck with me through this whole thing. I will submit to you. I will criticize that dipshit from Green Bay who shoved the trainer. What a fucking <laughs> moron. Oh, my God. That was so yeah. Worst timing on like, the planet. Yeah. But what goes through anyone's head? And speaking of dipshits, Jamie McLennan on Overdrive is somehow taking that guy's side, saying the doctor uh, that's was, the least surprising was in thing the wrong. And that the doctor... 
and the doctor the doctor shoved him first i'm like the doctor walked up behind him and you could very clearly see by his body language walked up behind him and went excuse me and like put his arm in front of him to kind of wedge himself in he didn't lay he didn't hit him he didn't push him he didn't do anything regardless and even if he did even if he did like good god dead all around yeah, fuck the Packers. Fuck Aaron Rodgers. Chicago Bears have the first overall mm-hmm. draft choice. Keith, what do we do? What's what's the play? You got to trade oh, down. You got you can't you can't you can't draft. You can't draft. I mean, like Poles had his his press conference today, and you know he he said what he had to say, which was like you know Justin Fields is gonna is our quarterback, and you know then he was asked point blank like you know would you consider taking a quarterback with the first pick, and he was just like. You know, we're going to do what we do every time we go into a draft and it'll be evaluating what's going to make our team the best and all that. But then he said something about like having to be like completely blown away by somebody like he's not going to say he's not. You know what I mean? Like he's got to say he's got to say that. But clearly he's got to do the posturing. Clearly they're, you know, they're going into next year with fields and they're not going to draft quarterback. So if you're not going to draft quarterback, you can't draft first overall. And especially considering there's two guys and huge needs on the defensive line a tackle on an edge that they have you know bears pass rush was ass like awful this year that's a huge need i know everybody talks about the offensive line and the wide receivers but i feel like those are a little bit easier to kind of build through trades and free agency than a pass rush and you know carter and georgia and will anderson like those guys you got to get one of those two guys so if you feel comfortable that you can you know go after the Colts in the fourth pick um, and then kind of pit them against the the Texans, you know, uh, th- th- there's, and then if you really want to go crazy, I mean, there's teams all the way back to nine that need quarterbacks. So if you think that there's a, you know, I would like for them to, to leave with one of those two guys that I mentioned, but if you get absolutely, you know, if the Seahawks want to do something insane and give you like DK Metcalf along with a bunch of other shit, maybe you got to listen, but, I, I don't know. It's it seems to me like moving into that four four five range, and uh, and still being able to get out of there with one of the the defensive linemen that seem to be kind of franchise guys. Yeah, I, I'm flip flopping almost daily. I, th- I think as of this recording, I'm I'm Team Jalen Carter. Uh, he, he dude just looks like a yeah. freak. Uh, yeah. I like Anderson, but yeah. I, I, here's how like I'm going to be absolute sicko mode within the next few months as this draft approaches. But um, I, I pulled up video of Aiden Hutchinson's Michigan season last year so I could just kind of compare and be like you know I don't know does Anderson have the explosiveness is he is he the guy or is mm-hmm. or is Carter just the freak athlete and you just have to go with him and and uh, there's all the talk about Eberflus uh, the Bears coach who you know leans on the defensive tackle the, to kind of be the centerpiece of his defense like he did in Indianapolis yeah. so maybe that's the way they go with Carter but uh, it, it's going to be a lot of speculation or you just get Eberflus's defensive tackle from Indy in the trade, and then you just have DeForest Buckner and still draft Will Anderson. That works too. <laughs> it's it's there's just so I I don't like. Admittedly, I'm I'm a relatively new football fan, right? Like it, football, I can't be as intelligent and kind of putting together packages as I can in in hockey. And I'm not even that good at that. Trades are right? weird too, right? They're so. weird, man. Like you, you, it's all so much on position. Like I can remember that being one of the things that blew me away when I start, first started, you know, following football closely. Was like 
a running back that you know rushes for like 1100 yards gets traded for a fourth round pick and you're like what like that doesn't make sense but then you you look at what cornerbacks go for and you just kind of start to understand the positional like you know premiums that that exist in the nfl and that draft capital is just worth so much there like a second third round pick is expected to walk in to be a day one starter like that it's not like that in any other sport so yeah i don't know i have no idea what to expect for a package for the first overall pick in a draft where there's high-end quarterbacks and multiple of them so um yeah we'll see exciting times it is very exciting just an immaculate tank job (laughs) yep and it's similar like the leafs tank to get matthews they were in every game like that season. It wasn't that, you know, the first year with Babcock, like it, they were losing like pretty close. Like they talked about this on overdrive today. Um, and they were talking about, uh, you know, the, they call it the dignified tank or whatever, but it was, it's kind of like that in Chicago this year. Like nobody expected them to be good, but they were, there was a run there for like six or seven weeks where they put up 30 points every week after they got, and then lost by one, one, <laughs> one possession, like, or by, by one score. It's like, that's, that's the biggest thing, that. right? You, you saw legitimate progress out of the guy yeah. you hope to be your franchise quarterback, uh, and still managed to to lose all those games. So yeah, it, you can't yeah. really ask for much better in a season where you, you don't have championship aspirations. No, God, no. Yeah, and and the, and a patchwork O line and no wide receivers. <laughs> I might ask for a little better out of the Chase Claypool trade. Uh, I, that there's yeah. the power of xenophobia. I if if he, that guy weren't Canadian, I would be fucking ripping that trade <laughs> to shreds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, good return to action here, boys. Um, and thanks to everyone for bearing with us over the last few weeks. We've had some uh, some illnesses, some audio issues, some scheduling issues, some laziness issues, kids. some kids issues. <laughs> yeah. But uh, all of the above. Yeah. Onward and upward. We don't need to weight them to see how high laziness factors <laughs> <laughs> But we hope that you all come back and support the show again and accept and, our apology. Uh, and, just, and just know that we you know, we earnestly discussed a weekly schedule. Whether that happens, <laughs> we'll see. We'll find out in three weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>